sermon series, Matriarchs of the Messiah, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. Hopefully you guys had a great Thanksgiving holiday, and uh, I know for some, some of us, uh, sometimes the holidays are kind of tough, they're not easy, uh, because for some of us, we remember the losses that perhaps maybe happened during the holiday season. Do you realize that uh, Thanksgiving season, like this Christmas holiday, actually is some of the most depressing times in America? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But for me, uh, Thanksgiving is an interesting season now because last Sunday was the six-year anniversary of my father's passing. My father passed away several days before Thanksgiving. And so it was uh, the first two years, I never looked forward to uh, Thanksgiving season because the memory was, was painful. And uh, I've been able to grieve well during those years. And six years later now, I'm really able to just kind of focus on a lot of the positives I'm um, really uh, thinking about the things that my father left behind. I feel like I'm a part of his legacy. I'm grateful for that. The man was anything from perfect. You'll hear that a little later. Um, but I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that I've gotten to a point in my life that before he passed to be with the Lord, that I was able to reconcile, we were able to work and nurture our relationship. And now I have very fond memories of him. But every, uh, every year when we celebrate his anniversary or, or when we remember it, uh, my mother always forces our family to do like a service at the house. She forces me to preach uh, a little bit. And so I have to. And so my kids, just my kids and my wife and my mom, and we're there sitting at the dining table. And I opened up Psalms 112 this time around last Sunday. And I said, hey, I want you to look at this passage. It says that, you know, when you fear the Lord, you experience true joy and you will begin to delight when you obey his commandments. And then it says a little bit later, it says, those people who do that, their children will be successful. And so I shared that with them because I wanted them to be reminded. One of my greatest fears as a parent, honestly, I feel like my kids, they, they've lived a good life. They've never really struggled in their life, if I'm going to be very honest. And I know that, you know, everyone struggles in their own way. But I worry that now that I've, as they're becoming adults, I don't know if they have the proper faculties to handle adversity in their life. It's a real concern of mine. And so I just told them, I said, don't forget who you are. Don't ever forget that you are an on and there's a lineage that you come from. And I said, your, your grandfather was far from perfect. He struggled. He never experienced love, even from the moment he took his first breath, because his mother passed away at, literally when he was a baby. So he has no recollection of his mother. His father remarried, and it was a very abusive relationship. His stepmom did not treat him well. His father was not connected to him at all. And so my father lived a very difficult life during the Korean War. When he met my mother, he married her, and he wasn't perfect. He did a lot of awful things to her. But I said, but when he became a Christian, things changed. Everything changed for him when he became a Christian. And I said to him, I said, what you learn about being an on is simply this, that you can go through adversities and hardships, but if you learn to hold on to God... God will see it through and he'll breathe life into things that look like death in your life. So I told him, I said, don't ever forget who you are and where you come from. And I hope that they'll never forget that because they need to know where they come from. Do you know where you come from? Do you know your lineage? The reason why we're focusing on Matthew and we're focusing on the matriarchs of the Messiah is because... It's important to focus on the lineage. It's important to, to look at the lineage or the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And what's so odd about his, his genealogy is that there are five women that are mentioned there. And that's so rare because in, in, in back in the first century and in Old Testament times, women were never mentioned in, in genealogies. They just weren't. 
But in Jesus' genealogy, there was five women that were mentioned. And these women had scandalous backgrounds and actions. They weren't like the perfect type of people that you would want to be in the genealogy. They had some scandalous things about them. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at those five women that are mentioned. We're going to look at Ruth, Rahab, Tamar, Bathsheba, and of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we're going to look at some of the scandalous things. But we're going to ask ourselves the question, what is it about these five women that made it into the genealogy? Why would God choose people like these women to literally make it into the genealogy of our Messiah? What is it about them? What we learn, the, the meta-narrative that we learn between these five women is one simple thing. That God often chooses the most unlikeliest of people to advance his kingdom. And so I think the people who think they might be great, maybe if you think you might be really qualified to do some significant things for God, God doesn't choose people like that. He often chooses the people who believe they can't do anything. He often chooses people that often think like they're just very ordinary in their lives. And so we're going to look at that over the next five weeks. And today I have the privilege of sharing with you the life of Ruth. Ruth was an incredible woman. She was very ordinary, but yet she lived an extraordinary life. What was scandalous about Ruth? You know what was scandalous about her? She was a Gentile. She was a Gentile woman. She was a Moabite. And she's mentioned in a Jewish genealogy. That's pretty scandalous. Ruth was an incredibly ordinary person, and yet she did something so extraordinary for God that if it wasn't for Ruth, Jesus's, Jesus would have never came from this lineage. And so we're going to look at one verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And what we're going to ask is simply, we're going to answer this one question. How do we, as ordinary people, do some extraordinary things for God? What does God look for? in ordinary people so that they can do extraordinary things? That's a really important question to answer today. And I hope as we answer it, you all will believe in your hearts that as ordinary you are, that God can do extraordinary things in your life. So let's just look at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at a half a verse, 5b. Matthew 1, 5b. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and you guys all know who Jesse fathered. It was David. King David, the greatest king Israel had ever known. All right, that's the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, we come to you today, and uh, I do hope that all of us in here would know, God, that you put us on this earth to do something significant, something extraordinary for you. And I pray, God, that you would forgive us, perhaps, from not believing that. That sometimes we just believe our, our life is just about going to work every day and just doing certain things and, and just kind of going through the motions. Lord, I pray that we would stop going through the motions and God, we would realize today that you've called us to do extraordinary things. And the reason why you called us to do extraordinary things is because we're ordinary, like Ruth. So speak to us. Some of us desperately need to hear this word today. So may your spirit come and infiltrate our hearts and our souls. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room and those watching online will indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. Let me give you a little background to Ruth. There were only four chapters in the, uh, in, in the book of Ruth. And in chapter 1, what starts out is that there was an incredible famine that broke out in Judea. And when there's a famine, people are dying of starvation. And so what typically happens? They leave. They leave their home country. And that was what was happening. Because of the famine was so bad, people started to leave Judea. And as a result of it, they started going to other foreign lands. Elimelech, went in, with his family, went into the land of Moab. And Elimelech was married to Naomi. They had two sons. 
And those two sons eventually, because they lived in Moab, married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And, as they, and through some unfortunate events, what happened was that Elimelech and his two sons died. Really sad. Tragic. Naomi is heartbroken. She's overwhelmed. Not only has she lost the people that matter to her the most, but her daughter-in-laws did not bear any children to continue the family line. And so Naomi is just so overwhelmed, literally with grief to the point of death. The famine is over in Judea. She gets word that it's over. And so she decides to leave because she doesn't want to live in a foreign land anymore. She wants to go home. And so she takes the journey. She's walking to Bethlehem. And as she's going, her two daughter-in-laws are following her, Orpah and also Ruth. Naomi sees this and he tur she turns to them in their journey. She says, why are you coming with me? It's a dead end if you come to me. I have no relatives to give to you. You're never going to get married. You're never going to have children. And I think in today's day and age, that's okay in some ways, right? But back in Old Testament times, a woman's purpose was to have children and have a family. So Naomi was saying, if you come with me, I can't provide anything for you. Your life is over. Go back to your home and get married. You're still young. Get married and leave me. It's okay. I give you my blessing. Well, Orpah thinks about it, and she says, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so she says, I'll see you later. And so she leaves. Ruth turns to Naomi and says, never. She said, I will die with you. If I don't die with you, may our God deal with me ever so severely. I will never leave you. Naomi realized she was serious. So she decides to just let her come with her. So they get to Bethlehem, and the women start saying, hey, isn't that Naomi? And Naomi says, hey, don't call me Naomi. That's not my name anymore. My name is Mara because God has dealt with me in such a bitter way. Naomi, if you've gone through a type of trauma where you've lost the people you love the most, she couldn't work. Ruth is in a foreign land, a Gentile, in a Jewish land, and her mother-in-law is struggling so much she can't help provide for the family. So then Ruth goes out into the fields as a single woman, which is very dangerous in those days to just go out there like that. And she waits around and she eventually works her tail off and she gets some grain from Boaz, who is a very close relative of Elimelech. She brings all her grains home, shows it to Naomi. Naomi's like, where'd you get this? She said, well, Boaz gave it to me. And Naomi realized that Boaz and Elimelech are very close relatives. And she says, well, you know what? Boaz can save our family line. And so she gives Ruth some dating tips, some things to do to make sure she can kind of encourage Boaz to hopefully maybe that they can get married. And long story short, it happens. They have a child. The child's name is Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of King David, which is the greatest king Israel had ever known. And as a result of it, it's preserved the family line of Jesus Christ, Ruth, an ordinary Gentile woman doing something so incredibly extraordinary that it truly blessed the line of Jesus Christ. What made her so extraordinary? I mean, when you think about it, Ruth has an entire book named after her in the Old Testament. Moses doesn't have one. Abraham doesn't have one. King David doesn't have one. Ruth does. What made Ruth so extraordinary? Extraordinary. This Gentile woman, what made her so extraordinary in God's eyes? This ordinary woman. It's one thing. I only have one point for you today. It's going to be a quick sermon. All right, here's the one thing. If you want to be extraordinary for God, if you want your ordinariness to be extraordinary, you have to be loyal to him. Loyalty is of the utmost importance. 
Now, I know that we live in a day and age today where it's hard for us to be loyal, isn't it? Because we live in a cancel culture. And so that's kind of been like the most, the, kind of like the, the thing that young people like to do. They like to cancel things. They like to cancel companies. They like to cancel people, celebrities, and different things like that. But we do that. We're not very faithful to like, you know, uh, uh, like car companies or cell phone services. If companies rub us the wrong way, we will cancel them out. We won't be loyal. Sometimes even with relationships, like people in church, if some people don't treat you well, you feel like maybe you're not getting enough love at church or things like that, you will leave. So our loyalty sometimes, it really, at a natural human level, it's not very good. But yet I believe every single one of us, because we were created to be in this relationship with God, we were naturally created to be loyal. And I see that in so many of us. I see that we have the capacity to be loyal. Maybe not to God sometimes, but I see it. I see it because for some of you, you guys are loyal to some things no matter how much they disappoint you. Right? Like the New York Jets and the New York Giants. I mean, it's in, I mean, it's just, I mean, who cares about football now? I mean, I don't care about football. They're so bad. They disappoint us every single year. Every year we think maybe they have a chance. They draft these great players. We think maybe, and they always disappoint us. But we're still so loyal to them. Some of you are so loyal to Apple, to iPhones. They haven't come up with a new design in like how many years? They had to go back to their first year design. And you're still so loyal to them. So I think we have this natural capacity to be loyal. But that loyalty, I think in some ways, because you haven't really fully tapped into it, it can be supernatural. You see, what made Ruth so extraordinary was that her loyalty wasn't natural. We all have a natural ability to be loyal at a certain extent. But Ruth's loyalty was supernatural. It was really from the Lord. It was from God. And that's why she was able to literally give up her life. Do you realize what Ruth was sacrificing? She was sacrificed that she was never going to get married again. That's when she said, I'll go with you. And she was going into Gentile territory. Uh, she was going into, I'm sorry, Jewish territory. And Jewish people didn't marry Gentiles. So her prospects of meeting a man were next to nothing. Yet she was willing to do that. You see, Orpha represents the natural loyalty that all of us have. I think all of us have a loyalty to some extent, but when things get difficult and hard, our natural loyalty sort of becomes compromised, and then we decide to walk away from it. And that's what we do. So for, for a lot of us here in this room, I think maybe our loyalty to God is really at a natural level. It really is. Some of us, we pursue God. We say we're loyal to him because we want him to bless us. We want to go to heaven when we die. And maybe our mothers and fathers told us that's how we're supposed to live our life. But that's just at a natural level. And what happens is that over time is that as you struggle in life, and as we've been learning over the last year in Matthew about what it means to be a disciple, a lot of us won't last if our loyalty to God is at a natural level. It has to get to the supernatural level. And that's where Ruth's loyalty lied. And that's what she possessed that literally allowed her to do extraordinary things. Let's look at the loyalty level of Ruth. Let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 18. Ruth 1, 16 and 18. Now, this is when uh, Orpah said, I'm going, I'm leaving, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Love you, Naomi, but I can't do it. She leaves. But here's how Ruth responds. This is what she says to her mother-in-law. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, may Yahweh punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. 
when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. There's nothing she could have done. But she said, I'm going to die with you. If I don't die with you, may God deal with me ever so severely. That is loyalty at a supernatural level. Please understand, she wasn't just loyal to Naomi. Ruth was loyal to God. That's how she was able to be supernaturally loyal to a human person. Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. This is when Boaz meets her at the field. And here's how he responds. He says, uh, yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and you own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, who's, uh, under whose wing you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, this is when Ruth makes her move and she uh, and Boaz finally uh, become married. Verse 10. This is what Boaz says. The Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Boaz was old. He was an older, a much, much older man than Ruth was. Ruth's loyalty was supernatural because she depended upon God. I know for all of us, we have a certain level of loyalty to our God. You do. I think for the majority of us here, you love Jesus Christ. You do. But I think it's, as, is it at a natural level? Because you just pursue him. And I'm not saying this is completely wrong, but you pursue him today because you want him to bless you. You want to go to heaven when you die. And maybe your mama said you should follow Jesus like this. It's not really your faith. Because if, if our faith doesn't mature and transform, what will happen is that whenever you go through a hard time with adversity, many of you are going to start walking away from your faith in God. And you're not going to be able to really engage with them because those moments when you struggle are oftentimes the greatest moments when you can really connect and go deeper in your connection and your relationship with the Lord. And so we have to get to a place where our loyalty can go from the natural level to the supernatural. That's the goal. We want to get to Ruth's level of loyalty. The definition of loyal is faithful to one's oath, commitments, or obligations. So I want you to know today, I want you all to make an oath. Oath means it's, it's literally a covenant, a promise you're making with God. That you would be able to say, Jesus, I will be loyal to you in a supernatural way. But how do we do it? What made Ruth's loyalty so supernatural? It was really rooted in two things. It was rooted in her love and her compassion for Naomi. Ruth loved and had compassion for her mother-in-law. And so because she had those two things, she was able to be fully, fully loyal and committed to her. And that's what's required of you. That if you want your loyalty to God to be at a supernatural level, you have to love God with no strings attached. And you have to also show compassion to him. We're going to talk about a little bit what that means, right? What in the world does that mean, right? What does that mean? Naomi would never have been, uh, Ruth would never have been able to be that loyal to Naomi if it wasn't for her commitment and her loyalty to God. This Gentile woman says, your God will be my God and may our God deal with me ever so severely if I leave you. If death, is, death would be the only thing that separates you and me. And so where is your loyalty today? Is your loyalty... Grounded in love and compassion for Jesus Christ. What do I mean by love? Because I think all of us say that we love, but you know, you know love can go up and down. It can be very conditional, right? What made Ruth's loyalty, so, like what made her love for Naomi so unique? For Ruth, Naomi's love or her love for Naomi was enough. She didn't love Naomi hoping that, you know, she'll get married one day, that you know, she'll get blessed by Naomi. She didn't pursue Naomi because of that. No, she loved her just because she loved her. 
And that's key. You see, our love has character when we love God just for who he is and not what he can give to us. That's an important step for us to take, to say that I'm going to pursue Jesus Christ just because, Jesus, you first loved me, because you pursued me, because I was enough for you and you had compassion. And that's what Advent is about. Advent is literally about that God loved you and I so much that you were enough for him, that he actually called his son and he sent him to this earth. He became a human being and he walked on this earth for 33 years and then he died for us on the cross. That is undisputable historical fact. There was a guy by the name of Jesus. He was born and he lived for 33 years and then he was crucified on the cross. What requires faith is the immaculate conception, which is Christmas, right? When he was born from a virgin womb. We'll talk about that on Christmas, on Christmas Sunday. And the other thing that requires faith is his resurrection. There were 500 people who eyewitnessed Jesus' resurrection recorded in the Bible. And we have to believe. And, and those 500 people, particularly with the 12 apostles, birthed what you and I know to be the Christian faith today. That's what this Christmas story is all about. For God loved you first. God was supernaturally loyal to us first, which was rooted deeply in his love and his compassion for us. Will you love God in such a way where you will love him with no strings attached and you'll say, God, I just love you because you are enough for me and that's it. Because if you do that, your love is of noble character. Look what Boaz says to Ruth. Look what Boaz says to Ruth in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. You are a woman of noble character. So your love and my love for our God has to be such where he is enough for you. So if he never blessed you ever again, if he never answered another one of your prayer requests, would he still be enough for you? Would he still be enough for you? Like Ruth, if you never were to get married ever again and you stay single for the rest of your life, would he still be enough for you? If you never had children, would he still be enough for you? Would Jesus Christ be enough for you? That's the question that Jesus has for every single one of us. And that's where God wants you and I to go, where we can say, yes, God, you are enough. You are an end in and of itself. And because of that, then you can truly be supernaturally loyal to him. That's what the apostles did. And we know that it's a journey. We get there. The apostles messed up along the way. But God used them because they were able to get to that place where they said, you know what, God? You are enough for me. I hope and I pray that you would get to that place in your life where God truly is enough for you because then you can be truly loyal to him. Otherwise, you're just pursuing him for hopefully good things that you want in your life. And God is so much more than that. God did what he did for you through Jesus Christ because he really longs to have a relationship with you. And through that, you can experience peace, joy, true contentment that far surpasses any external things changing in your life. Amen? Amen. God can do that. But he has to be enough for you. And sometimes, sometimes he takes a lot of things away from you to really ask you that question. And so it's better for you to answer it now and mean it with your heart than you letting God take everything away from you so that he knows. Because sometimes the only way to know a person's heart is through a test. And God does test us sometimes. And we want to get past that. All right, so, this, so that's the first part of love, right? Your love needs to develop character. And our love has tremendous character like roots when God is enough for us, when Jesus is enough for us. But how do we show compassion for Jesus? Does Jesus need your compassion? Does he really need your compassion today? Absolutely he does. 
Jesus needs your compassion and my compassion. How do we show compassion? Doug talked about this last Sunday. Did a great job. If you missed that sermon, you got to listen to it because it's so powerful. Jesus says that you and I can show him compassion when we show compassion to the least, the last, and the lost. Because he is truly there and he's present with them. He's present with the least, the last, and the lost. In fact, the only description that Jesus ever gives that on the day of judgment when he comes back in his second coming of determining whether you and I go to heaven or hell is actually based upon how we loved and cared for the least, the last, and the lost. And I just want you to know something. The least, the last, and the lost aren't just poor people. I think they're also wealthy people as well. Because I've known some, I know some wealthy people and they really need God. They've got, they, have a, they have a life of poverty in their soul where they need Jesus in a deep way. So sometimes when we think of the least, the last, and the lost, we only think about the poor. But I want you to think about the wealthy oppressed. Because if somebody loves money more than God, it is nothing but a life of oppression. And they need Jesus too. But look what Jesus says in Matthew 25. Let me just refresh your memory. Doug did this last Sunday, verses 34. Jesus is coming back. The angels are going to separate the sheep from the goats. And here's what he says to the sheep. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing. When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. The flip side of that passage, if you read a few verses down, Jesus then now addresses the goats. And he said, I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick, you didn't take care of me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. He says, whatever you didn't do to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus needs your compassion today. That compassion doesn't happen unless you love him enough where you just say, you're enough for me, Jesus. When you can get there, then you're going to have deep compassion for Jesus as you stare into the eyes of humility. Because when you stare into the eyes of humility, you can't help but get more humble. Because in many ways, you'll feel like Jesus is looking right back at you. That's what St. Francis of Assisi says. He says, take a look at the poor and the oppressed, and you will have a eerie awareness that Jesus is looking right back at you. We have to have compassion for the poor and the oppressed. When we do that, we're showing compassion to Jesus Christ. See, that's supernatural loyalty. If you place your life on those two things, saying, God, I will be loyal to you by declaring today that you're enough for me, that you never have to bless me again and you'll be enough, and that I will always love you by serving and caring for the least, the last, and the lost. Folks, you are living an extraordinary life. And there's no, there are no barriers to what God can do to bless your life and to bless the lives of other people that God puts in your life. That's how you do extraordinary things. I wish I could say there's more. I wish there were more things you need to do in order to do extraordinary things. But it's really that. Jesus has to be enough for you. He really has to be enough for you. The reason why you pray is because you love Jesus. Not so that you could be like a good Christian. The reason why you fast is so, not so that you could feel like you're a good Christian. You do it because you love Jesus. The reason why you tithe is not so because you were taught to do that or your mom told you to do that. It's because you love Jesus. The reason why you're willing to forgive people who are unforgivable in your life is because you love Jesus. That's the only reason why you do the things you do. And so what is the motivation of the things that you're doing? 
Is it so that you think you could be accepted by God so you could feel good about yourself spiritually? Or are you just doing it because you love Jesus? Because he's enough for you. And because he has forgiven you of everything that you've done, that you too will now begin to live your life that way too and be a radical forgiver for his people. It's so amazing because sometimes we believe in the lie of Satan thinking that Jesus, if we really follow him, he's going to ruin our lives. He's going to make me do something I don't want to do. Listen, the devil has been making you do something you don't want to do for your entire life. God will never make you do something you don't want to do. But he makes you to believe that that's not what you really want to do. Because when you do the things that God has purposed for your life, that's when you experience true shalom and healing. And I hope that you will begin to do that. You can do it. No matter how hard it is. Why? Because Jesus is enough. That's the message of Advent. Jesus is enough. Why did, Jesus send, why did God send Jesus here to us? Because he's enough. He alone is enough for you. You can love him that way. And you can truly trust him. And you can meet him through the least, the last, and the lost. That's supernatural loyalty. And that's all that's required for you to take your ordinary life and to make it extraordinary for God. When I think about supernatural loyalty, I think about my mom. She had incredible loyalty. And, uh, you know, my mother, when we immigrated to the States, uh, she didn't speak a lick of English. She didn't have a skill set to make money. So she had to rely upon my father. And before my father became a Christian, he was really a, a horrible human being. He would get drunk sometimes, and then he'd become incredibly violent in the home, and my mother would take the beatings so that we, my sisters, and I wouldn't have to. I saw things, what my father did to my mom, that no young child should ever see. He was a horrible man. My mother should have divorced him like that, but an immigrant story is that it's not that easy. When you don't have money and you can't speak the language in a foreign land, it's not that easy. She should have divorced him. She was going to leave him, though. She packed her bags up one night because it was too much. She couldn't handle it anymore. She had her limits, and she had reached it. She packed her bags, and she was getting ready to leave. And as she was doing that, she just wanted to take a look at us one more time. Now, her plan was, was to go to her girlfriend's house, and her girlfriend said, you can come, but I can't take your kids, and I don't have any room. So I'll try to get you a job. You can work several months, then get an apartment. Then you can bring your kids over. So that was the plan for my mom. That's what she was going to do. So she packed her bags and she was going to leave. And when she took a look at us, she said she just, her heart just broke. She couldn't do it because she knew what it was like to grow up without a mom because she didn't have a mom growing up. She knew the pain of that. And my mother knew that if she left my, her kids with, my, with her husband, she, don't, she, she didn't believe that we could survive. So she stayed. Not for her husband. She stayed because she needed to be loyal to God by caring and having compassion for her children. I asked her, I asked her, because once my father became a Christian, things changed and things got better. Um, but I asked her, I said, you know, a couple years ago I had to do a paper for my class. And I said, how were you able to stay? I mean, he destroyed every area of your life. How were you able to stick by it? And she said to me, she said, Peter, I could not have done it. If it wasn't for God. My mother's prayer life was so deep. It was the only thing that she had. That she reminded herself that he was enough. Because my mom truly believed that if she left, my father would do something to his kids, to her kids in a way that we might not be able to survive. That's the only reason why she stayed. She didn't stay because she loved him. She stayed because she didn't want us to die under his provision or lack thereof. And so 
She said, I just prayed. And, you know, my mother prays even till this day. She is a prayer warrior. She gets up at 3.30 every morning. She walks her little body to church. And she gets on her knees and she prays for two and a half hours every day. She prays for me. She prays for her family. She prays for you, the church. She prays for people in her life. She connects with God. She couldn't do it without him. But she said, all those years, Jesus was enough for me. As hard as it was. She should have left him. She should have left him behind. But as an immigrant parent, she didn't have a choice because she loved her kids too much. And now when you see my mom, I mean, you see the light. She never went to one day of therapy. She should have. She is one of the most joyful people you'll ever meet. She is, I mean, my daughter will tell you, she laughs so loud and she laughs all the time. Like your ears hurt because she has such a joy. Now, she still has her issues. There are moments when the issues do come to surface because she's not perfect. But when I see this little woman, this 100-pound, 5-foot woman, living her life every day, she's a widow now, she lives with the joy of the Lord, with the joy of the Lord. And she know what she said to me when, she was writing, when I was writing this paper? She said, Peter, if I left, which probably I should have done, she said, you would never have been a pastor. And she said, even though it was hard, she said, I'm glad I stuck by you guys. That's supernatural loyalty. Metro, this isn't a game. Your faith in God isn't a game. Stop playing the game. Stop doing some things you think marginally that's going to get you some good graces for God. And just surrender. Say, I love you so much, you are enough for me. I'll give you everything. You don't have to bless me ever again. You are truly enough for me. And God, I'm going to live the rest of my life showing compassion to you by loving and serving the least, the last, and the lost. If you do that, you too will be like Ruth, and there will be a story written about you where God took an ordinary person to do extraordinary things. That's what you were meant to do. You were meant to be supernaturally loyal to our Father in heaven. And may you begin to do that on this Advent Sunday. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so can you make that commitment today on this Sunday? Can you make that commitment to be fully faithful, to be loyal to our Father in heaven? That no matter what, you're going to stay loyal to him. Where Jesus Christ is enough, and you're going to have compassion for the least, the last, and the lost. Why don't you go to him and maybe just say, God, I'm not going to play this game anymore. Because Christianity is not a game, guys. I know we like the game a lot. It's not a game. God wants you to give all of yourself to him. So he's inviting you on this Advent, first Advent of Sunday. He's inviting you to be supernaturally loyal to him. And all it requires for you to say, God, you're enough. And if you're not there yet, can you just pray that prayer and say, Jesus, would you help me to truly believe in my heart that you're enough for me? Then even if nothing happens, even if you never bless me again, that your life, your death and resurrection will still be enough for me the greatest blessing I could ever receive from you. Just pray that. And pray that you would begin to have a compassion for the least, the last, and the lost, that God would begin to give you his heart, that your heart would break for the things that break the heart of God. So let's just go to him and then I'll close this in prayer.
Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. God, I pray that you would help us on this first Sunday of Advent to be loyal to you as supernatural proportions. Jesus, would you teach us and may we be able to believe, not with our minds, but with our hearts, that you're truly enough for us. God, that we could do whatever you call us to do because we know that your ways are the best ways. Help us to believe that. Help us to stop believing in a lie. I pray for anyone, God, who has held back giving all themselves to you for fear that you might ruin their lives. God, oh, Lord, I pray that you'd show them right now that life with Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. And you'll show them that the pathway that you've set for people's lives happens when we live in obedience and knowing that you're truly enough for us. And when we fall, your grace is always there to help us. But help us, God, to get to a place where you're enough. And I pray that we'll stop going through the motions of Christianity. And Lord, I thank you that our church is an incredibly compassionate church. But God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that when we do this, we're being compassionate to you. We're meeting you. And so may this become a big part of our spiritual formation. May we be supernaturally loyal to you. And as we do that, God, I pray that you'll help us to take this ordinary life of ours and do extraordinary things. So bless my brothers and sisters and help them during this Advent to give all of themselves to you. Be enough for every single one of us. In your name we pray. Amen.